Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com. Hey, good morning, River. It's so good to see you guys. And uh, aren't you glad we didn't get a foot of snow last night? Woo-hoo! <laughs> Everybody was excited. Sorry if you were planning on going skiing, but uh, they even make snow on the mountains, so you can go anyway, all right? So it's so good to see you guys, and uh, glad that you're here. And uh, this morning, want to say uh, welcome, especially to our new guest and our returning guest, and uh, especially grateful that, uh, that you've come to worship uh, the Lord this morning and to come meet with us as we open His Word and sing and, and glorify our God together. We're starting a new series this morning in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, as someone asked earlier what the passage was, I said one through three, and they kind of looked at me like, we're going over three whole chapters? Like, no, 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 no. One, one, the chapter one, verses one through three, just a few. So uh, our, our series is about standing firm. And as we think about First and Second Thessalonians, we'll be in here for a few weeks. Paul is writing to a people, uh, Paul the Apostle, and he's writing to a people that, that knew that their salvation was secure in the past, but they were struggling to think about that security in the future. They were, they were nervous, they were worried, and, and Paul had to reassure them and clarify and to help them to understand that, that no, that when Jesus comes back, everything is okay, and they, they were trying to understand and make sense about things, and so the theme that we're talking about is standing firm in that. Uh, I think it's kind of fitting. I didn't do this on purpose, but you know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, and as we, we think about Martin Luther King kind of standing up, uh, in August 28, uh, 1963, uh, with a quarter million people uh, marching in Washington to speak out about the atrocities of discrimination, of, of inequality, and of segregation that were just so uh, across our country in so many different forms. We, we as he, uh, I was about to say publicized, and publicized, but as, as a nonviolent way of stepping up and standing firm to say, guys, we should, we should be together in this. Listen to this, just as a kind of a little quote to help us think about what it means to stand firm. Here's from his speech that he gave, his I Have a Dream speech. This is only one little paragraph of it. He said this, he said, I say to you today, my friends, though even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up live out the true meaning of its creed. And here's the, the declaration, the portion of the Declaration of Independence that, was, that he was speaking to. And it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the son of slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that for my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. And then he continues on about that. As he stood firm and, and, and speaking out for the, the atrocities of, of segregation and discrimination in our nation, I thought that was fitting that, uh, that we would kick a series off that we too, God calls us to stand firm in our faith, not just 
based on the past, but stand firm as we think about our future. So take your Bible, if you would, and look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're just going to look at the first three verses this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul and Silas and Timothy started that church a few years before they wrote this, this letter to them. And uh, it's in what's modern-day Greece. Paul had just been beaten. In fact, you remember the story in Philippi that uh, he and Silas were beaten and thrown into jail and battered and locked and chained to the, to the jailer at that time. I can imagine as they came into Thessalonica, that was the next town that they stayed and ministered in. And, and if you read in the book of, of Acts that a mob began to form and, and surround them there, I can imagine Paul thinking, oh no, here we go again. I know where this is, is going. But this time he wasn't beaten. The, uh, the, the, some leaders stepped in and you can read about that story and they ultimately left town. But the Bible says that, that a number of the religious leaders, a number of the Jewish leaders trusted Christ a number of the leading women of that city, Thessalonians, in fact, Thessalonica is still a city today in modern-day Greece. At that time, it was a very influential city, about 200,000 people. I think today it has like 300,000 people. It was a wealthy city because it was right there on the coast, and it was kind of a trading city, so there was a, a lot of money flowing through. Uh, it was also a city known for its sin, quite honestly. It was a big seaport. Uh, in that area, and so it was kind of known for that. But God planted a church, a gospel-preaching, teaching church that people had experienced the, 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 the good news of Jesus in their life, and they were forever changed. And so he's writing a letter back to them, encouraging them and helping them to grow and to really take uh, heart and get their, their head and heart around the things that he had taught them. So we're just kind of kind of look at the introduction, if you will, just kind of... Uh, stick our toes in the water and kind of get our feet wet. So read with me if you would in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. The Bible says this, Paul and Silvanus, which is another way, it's kind of the Greek form of Silas, same person, and Timothy, to our church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul's writing a simple letter to them and, and about to address some things. He says in verse 2, We give thanks to the God, or to God always, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father three things your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, would you? Father, it's good to be together today, and we're grateful. I'm grateful for the safety that everyone had in coming this morning and dealing with the, sun, the snow. And Lord, we want to take a few minutes. We know in a, a given week, this is not a long period of time. But Father, we recognize it's an important period of time that, that we want to set aside and hear from you, to hear your word spoken, to hear your word opened and explained and applied to our hearts and our life. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do exactly that. Nothing we do this morning can have any impact or any merit or any worth or, or any lasting change in our lives apart from the Holy Spirit applying it directly into our souls. So, Father, would you encourage us and convict us and challenge us, equip us, help us, Lord, to, to grow, to know you today through these words I pray. And I pray this in, in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Three things that I want to talk to you this morning about the church. 
uh, three significant things about the church itself. Paul says, I'm, I'm writing, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, we're writing to you, the church, that's in, in Thessalonica, the, the church of the Thessalonians. Church is something that, that we sometimes take, can take for granted and sometimes not think about. You know, as people who follow Jesus Christ, we know that we need to be careful about our understanding of exactly who God is. The whole Old Testament, God is trying to explain to the, the Jewish people who He really is and being very careful that they don't get Him mixed up or confused with idols or other things around. So we know that's important. We know that it needs to be, it's important to us that we really be precise and careful and clear about who Jesus Himself really is, that He is God who became a man and those, those two natures together in one and that He's the Redeemer. He's the one who died on the cross and shed His blood for our sins and made, made atonement, made a, uh, uh, took the punishment and the wrath of God for our sins on the cross and that He rose again on the third day. We know that we need to be careful about the Bible and what we believe specifically to be the true words of God. Not man's words, not words that, that some people have invented or created, but the words of God. And sometimes in churches and sometimes as Christians, we can kind of take the, the idea or the concept of church for granted. And if we're not careful, we begin to kind of get things a little bit askew or we get things confused, if you will. In fact, any time that we uh, take a, a theological teaching or a spiritual teaching of our God and we begin to just kind of take it for granted... And we begin along the way to conceive of it differently than what God really intended. So this morning, we're going to really just kind of camp out on this verse that here's Paul writing to a local congregation, a local church, a local gathering of Christians, and he's about to give them some encouragement and some instructions and some various things. And before we kind of go very far down in that road, I thought it's important for us to take a step back and to take a serious look about what the Bible says about us as a church. So the, the first thing I want you to notice is that is that as a church, and I'm thinking specifically for us here at River, but this applies to ch other churches as well, that we have the first off is we have an identity. Notice the Bible says the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, we have an identity. We know that church is not primarily a building. You know, if you head out and you're coming to a Sunday morning and somebody asks where you're going, you say, well, I'm going to church. You know, in most of our minds, we're going to a specific address, 2333 Western Ave. You, even Google knows where we are, right? You can pull it up and there it is on the map and everything's right there. But we know that church is way more than an address. It's way more than a building. We know that the church is even more than the programs or the things that we do. We know that the church is, is the people. The church here and in, in, in that the Thessalonians worshipped in would have met in a house or very possibly, if not likely, multiple houses. They didn't have separate church buildings in that, that time and that era. Those were, uh, I'm about to say invented. I don't know if they were an invention as much as a, an outward growth. You just, when more people trust Christ and they gather together, like, you know, I love you folks, but I can't have 50 of you in my living room and definitely not every week. So, oh, let's go build a building and we can all fit. You know, that's kind of how that happens. So the church's identity First and foremost, that word means, it means a gathering. In fact, believe it or not, that word that, that Paul has 
that he was referring to specifically as he spoke Greek actually was not a religious word. It was actually a word that meant assembly or gathering. It was a political word. It was a rally, we might say, that they were, even in the secular political system, they would gather together as people. But Paul took it and he applied it to our what we think of as a spiritual religious thing and it's essentially it is a gathering of, of the people. It's who we are. We're a gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the second thing I want us to notice is that we're not just a, any kind of gathering, but if you look carefully, he says, we're the church that is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're gathering together. We're in this together collectively. God intends for us to live out our Christian life, not as individuals, not as for the old Western buffs in the room, not as a lone ranger running around, you know, solo, but intended for us to live life together in community, in fellowship, in relationship. He, he's a God who wants to be served together, to be worshipped together. He's a God that wants us to grow together in that. That's not to say that we can't worship on our own. Of course we should. Or that we shouldn't read the Bible on our own. Of course we should. But he intended for us to kind of, as a pack, if you will, herd mentality, kind of pursue God together. But what sets us apart is that we're not just any gathering. We're a gathering of people who are in God the Father, he says in verse 1, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you notice carefully, he says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is putting Jesus on par with God Himself. This is subtle, but if we know and we've been reading the book of Judges, God can't stand idolatry. And God makes it very careful and clear that there is nothing that compares to Him, and nothing anywhere on this planet should be put on par with Him. So when, when Paul is speaking to us and referring to God the Father, it's very clear that he's putting Jesus on the same plane as, as, as God the Father Himself. It's a subtle little way of saying that Jesus Himself is God. But we are together as the church in, in the Father. And we know one of, that often as we read the Bible, the Bible describes this as followers of Jesus Christ, those who've surrendered their life to Him and committed to, their, to Him to be Lord of their life, that are saved, if we would say, or born again, that we are in Christ. When you are, don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, you are outside of Him. You are separated from God. And when you trust Him as Lord, the Bible says you are in Christ. You are moved into a life with Him. That you live out your whole life in this, this union, this supernatural union. But what is fascinating to me is that in this little verse that God says, that life that we live out in Jesus is lived out in the Father as well. That we are not just any gathering. There is, a, there is a life together that we have, not just with one another, but together with our God in heaven. It is a spiritual religious thing, if you will, that church is a gathering of people who know Jesus as Lord, but who live out their existence day in and day out with Him day in and day out with everything that, that He has for them in our life. Well, well what, what really are churches supposed to be and do? 
I taught this past week at Word of Life, and uh, they had me teaching a church. I, I teach every winter for them, just one little one-week class. And it's cold up there. It's just colder there. There's more snow and all of that. Like when, when we came back down here on, a, was it Thursday? There was hardly any snow down here. We had like three inches up there. It just, it's, it, anyway. But I do it because I love to invest in the students and the, the, the kids. I think I'm old enough to call them kids now, right? That's when you know you're getting older. And I love investing in them and talking with them. But the, the class that I teach now is a, a class on a local church. And one of the things in there that we talk about is the definition of the church. And I explained to them what we've talked about before many times. When God wrote the Bible, He didn't write it like an encyclopedia. You know, you don't turn to G and learn everything there is to know about God. And you don't turn to S and learn everything there is about salvation. You don't turn to C and learn everything there is to know about church. It's actually, the Bible is written very differently. It's, it's real people living out their life, their walk with God, and God is involved in every page of it. And so to kind of get to a definition for many of these things, exactly who God is and who Jesus is, you, you have to look at a lot of the, the scriptures to kind of boil out and, and, and come to some conclusions, conclusions about it. And understanding what the church really is all about is no differently. And if you really, we don't have time to look at all of it, and, and we're not going to do it, but I want to be a little more, I guess, careful or theological here for us this morning to really think clearly about what a church is about, what we are to be, what we're not to be. And when the Bible talks about the, the church in the New Testament, it talks about it in a universal form. Uh, some, some see it as universal and local. Some can talk about it like visible, the local church, like we're together, you can see it, there's an address or the invisible, like heaven and all Christians that forever are believers of, of Jesus in heaven. So there is a sense in which the church is this everybody of all times, of every place that who follows Jesus, that, that knows Christ himself but, but from before he came to after he came. That is the, the universal church. And we won't be gathered together in one place until this whole world history is done and we're in heaven. But in the New Testament, so the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about the local church, and this is one of those instances. Paul's writing to a, a local assembly of believers. The word itself, church, means assembly. There's a, a gathering of people, if you will. And so the Bible talks about the local congregations, and then occasionally it'll talk about like regional, you know, like the church that's in this city or in this, this whole area when there were multiple churches in that region. But, but what really is a church? The definition that I give my students, uh, it should be on the screen hopefully in a minute, is, there it is. So a church is an autonomous, which means self-governing. Auto means self, namas means law. So a self-governed, self-lawed body of covenant to believers in Jesus Christ who glorify God and then accomplish the Great Commission. When we read the book of 1 Thessalonians, we get a picture of this. Look at a few verses, or listen to a few verses. You don't need to turn there, but I'll turn there and read them for you. Let me give you an example. Keep that, keep that uh, definition up there. Look what the Bible says in, in chapter 5, verse 14. Paul says, we urge you brothers, he's writing to the church, he says, we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He's writing to a people who are committed to one another, who are following Christ and have a responsibility to live out their faith 
before God together. In chapter 5, verse 26, he says, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. How would you like it if we instituted that one? You know, guys, you walk in the door. Yeah, I wouldn't like that any better. To be honest with you, when uh, Bob last week said, come hold my hand, and he held my hand for forever, I'm like, oh, this is killing me. I am so uncomfortable. Like, great. You know, I just, guys, no offense, I don't hold hands with you. I'm just like, you know, that's, that's not what we do. But what did he mean in that time to, you know, give a holy kiss? He meant love on them. You know, like we might say, give them a hug, you know, give them a high five, but hey, reach out. Speak into their, their heart and their, their life. He says, greet them, with a, greet them with a kiss. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse of chapter, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says this in verse 14 and 15. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. He says, look. When people are in your church are disobeying the things, the clear things that we're talking about, you've got a responsibility to speak into their life. What are we seeing in action? We're seeing a body of Christians, people who follow Jesus Christ, who are in a committed relationship with one another that are speaking to each other's lives, are supporting one another, encouraging one another. And Paul is telling them to do it. He's not saying go to a local synod to oversee you, go to the denomination, hey, go to somebody else to take care of it. He's like, no, you guys are the church. You make decisions. You take responsibility. In other words, you govern yourself and you together act as the church. We see it in the passages he's writing to these individuals that, that of what I'm demonstrating here. A couple more little examples, the whole Great Commission thing here. He says in chapter 1-8, just a few verses down, he says, for not, he's, he's thanking God and talking about all the wonderful things that they've done to spread the, the Word of God. And he says this, he says, For not only has the Word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, which is Greece, and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He says, church, you are a local church, but you were the mission's enterprise and you spread the gospel all over the place. You took God's word and you, you spread it. Well, that's what the Great Commission is. It's us making disciples in all places, among all peoples. And then he also tells us when we make those disciples that we're supposed to teach them. And in chapter 5, verse 27, he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter, in other words, the Word of God, have it read to all the brothers, the teaching. So in a nutshell, what we are supposed to be as the church is this group of people who have made a commitment individually to God in heaven to be our, our Savior and our Lord, through Jesus, His Son, that turn around and we make a commitment to one another, to love one another, to support one another, to encourage one another, to, when necessary, even confront one another, do it nicely, but to, to help one another grow in our faith and our relationship, to live a life that honors God, because we're in this together, and we, we make decisions together as a church. Nobody else tells us what to do. And our one job in this world together is to make sure that we're spreading the gospel. 
here in Gilderland and the capital region and New York State and around the world. And as we spread that gospel, we're to teach people along the way, teach them what it means to follow God, that that's what we're supposed to be about. That's really what a church is all about. Now, when we think about that, you know, nowhere in the Bible do you see thou shalt be a member of a church and that kind of thing. And I get asked this from time to time, you know, well, what really is membership? Why is it so important? It wasn't in the Bible. Let's think about it this way. If we are going to make decisions together as a group, we have to know who that group is, don't we? You know, it, it, do we want all of a sudden uh, to have 10 people off the street who've never been to River before? To me, the ones that we say, oh, you're here today, so you go ahead and vote on our Constitution, and, which is really the things that we believe and how we're going to function and how we're going to run. That would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? And we don't, you know, if we're ordaining pastors, if we're calling a pastor to a church, you see, membership comes about while it's not in Scripture. It's not a bad thing to do. Scripture doesn't say you can't do it. But it's the natural logical conclusion that we have to say, well, we've got to be able to identify the people that, that we're saying are, are a part of this covenant, that are in this relationship with one another, and that together are going to make the decisions that, 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 that hold forward for the future of the church. Now, we live in a day and age where it's, it's increasingly difficult for people to feel comfortable becoming members of a church. And I get that, and I respect that. And sometimes people have been hurt by other churches, and when you've been hurt, it's hard to kind of, oh, do I want to just step into this again and experience this all over again? And, and sometimes if people have been raised in churches and been in a lot of churches in their life, they look around, and this church has a problem, that church has a problem, that church has a problem. Can I just tell you, River of Life will have problems. You look around enough right now, you will find problems and we will have problems in the future. Now, we've talked about this before, but we crave heaven on this earth as Christians. It ain't Heaven, by definition, is not here. I, yes, church should function differently and should be better than the world around us. Is that always a reality? No, it's not. Because we live in a sinful, fallen world and we all, including me, have sin in our heart and failings and weaknesses and all of that. So we should still crave heaven. We should still crave perfection and have perfect relationships and all of that. But we also need to be realistic and realize that this ain't it. <laughs> it's going to happen up there. And so membership is still an appropriate thing. It's an appropriate uh, thing to move forward. And Scripture doesn't tell us, you know, what all is required to be members or not. It leaves it very open. And for us at River, we've tried to make it pretty simple and keep to the really the basics that, hey, as long as you really have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, because the church by nature is a bunch of Christians, and as long as you have been, you know, baptized as a testimony and commitment, you know, as a, a recognition of that commitment to the world, because that's how our our salvation is is made clear, or I guess, if you will, we've kind of served notice or let the world know that. And as long as you're willing to, to believe what we believe and to, to follow the, the kinds of things that we've talked about, and for us, it's to love Christ, love one another as a church, and love the community around, and you're willing to live in that world, and congratulations, we'd love for you to be a member. We'd love for you to be a part of that. So as we think about the church, that's the nature of what it's all about, scripturally, and then those parts as membership make sense. Are they come right out of Scripture? No, not really. But as soon as you say, this is the church and this isn't, you've got to delineate 
who is and who's not. And so we try to make that clear in some of the things that we do. So for those of you that are new at River and thinking about that, we'll talk more about it when we do our Discover class. But as we think about the church, we have an identity that God expects us to grow together, accountable to one another, growing in our faith, living out what He has sent us to do and called us to do, and we together are in that collective supernatural relationship with Him, and it's awesome and amazing. Second thing I want you to notice about the church is not only do we have an identity, but we have an incredible blessing. Look what he says at the end of verse 1. It says, grace to you and peace. And it's pretty easy to, to pass by these words. Paul writes these words all the time. And grace is, grace is common to us in the church. But I want us to recognize that grace is not a common word. Grace means that God is saying, guys, God today is giving you grace. I'm wishing for and I'm praying for God's grace to today continue to come into your lives as the church. Sometimes for us as followers of Christ, we think back to, well, I first experienced grace when I trusted and surrendered my life to Jesus. And, and that's God's grace saving me from my sin. You see, grace is God loving us when we don't deserve it. In fact, grace is God loving us when we did everything not to deserve it. It's God sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us that while we were sinners, knowing full well all the specific things that you have ever done that you would ever do, and not just being offended by that, which God was, but then overcoming that offense and extending forgiveness and salvation, when you and I deserved everything but that, that's grace. And what Paul is reminding us this morning is profound. It's simple and don't miss this. Uh, water is common. You will, I trust, drink water today. You can't live very long without water. You need water more than you need food. Maybe your water will come in the form of Starbucks coffee. I don't know. Maybe some latte, maybe some mocha milkshake thing, I have no clue. But you will take water one way or the other, I assure you. You cannot live without it. But we should never think about water as common. It's an amazing, it's an amazing substance. Grace to what water is to human life, grace is to spiritual life. It sustains us, it blesses us, it grows us. And what Paul is reminding us this morning is, is that Grace is not something that we just have experienced in the past, but it's something for our present and it's something for our future. That, that God doesn't, when we trust Christ, God doesn't say, okay, I'm issuing you this little bottle of grace. Now make sure you just use it sparingly. You know, you just get a little bit in your life that you might need a little bit in a month. So make sure that, you know, you got to eke it out like savings. You know, it's, it's more like a fire hose that God just hoses us with grace day in and day out, and we live in that. That there's never a moment as part of God's children that we don't live in this overwhelming grace coming to our lives. When we were uh, at, at, at Word of Life, which is up by Scroon Lake in that area, uh, the kids came up to visit us one day, and they pulled up in the van, and as soon as they pulled in, I was... It's one of those like campgrounds, take a ride at the third big pine tree and go two driveways down and all that. I'm like, just call me, like I'll talk you in. So I you know, went to the driveway and as they pulled in with a van, I hear this horrible knocking in the motor. And you know, I'm thinking, I don't even want to drive that thing an hour. I don't even know if it's going to make it. 
And I'm thinking, we're in the middle of nowhere. How in the world do I get this thing fixed? How do I get kids home and shuttling and all of that? And just, you pray, Lord, would you give us wisdom and provide? Would you give us grace to know what we need, to what we need to do and how to do it and all of that? You see, we need God's grace. And we were able to get it fixed literally a mile down the road within like the next day. It was incredible. It was ridiculous. Who who's able to do that? So, so if you need a mechanic in Pottersville, New York, I've got a guy I can recommend to you. Charged me a good price. The alternator was shot. So thankfully, that was all it was. But God's grace for every practical thing in life. When you're there at night and you're trying to figure out with your spouse, what in the world do we do? God's grace. When you're there alone, not sure what to do. God's grace. You can go to bank on it. You go to bed on it. You can sleep like a baby on it. That God's grace will guide you, will protect you, provide for you what you need. And, and it's what God gives us today, lavishes on us today. You never get up in a world without God's grace. You and I need to be reminded that every single day of our life. But not just grace, he says peace. God's grace, that love that God gives us when we don't deserve it, is what brings God's peace. Because you see, we were at war with God. There was, the, the old word is enmity. There was a, we were giving it to God, sinning against Him, and God was deeply personally offended by that. But because of His Son Jesus, because of the grace that He showed us with Jesus, it's all good. He gives us a peace with God. And that peace is something that we again should bank on every single day. When Paul's writing this to the local churches, he's not just doing it as like some sort of perfunctory style or form. He's, he's focusing on what is simple, but what is the profound that we need to focus in on our lives, that God today gives us the grace and the peace, that we experience peace in this life with God in heaven. Sometimes things happen in our life when we wonder, is God not happy with me anymore? Well, just because we are at peace with God doesn't mean that God doesn't convict us of sin and doesn't discipline us and hold us accountable. He does it because He loves us. But He gives us an incredible peace along the way that we're at peace with God, and consequently the peace that we then crave for one another becomes real because we have God's peace operating in our life and we experience it with one another. So the, God says, Church, my grace and my peace are on you personally, individually. And this is the cool part, don't miss this. He's writing to a group of people and he's telling them, you study and read this together and think about this. He's saying, my grace and my peace are collectively together. You see, that's part of that collective part, piece about the church. Are you not encouraged whenever you see God's grace active in somebody else's life? I love it when I see God working in someone's life, showing them favor, caring for them, providing for them, God's mercy and, at work in their life. And they walk in the middle of a world and all the difficulties going on and they can experience a calm and a peace in the middle of that. I love that. That's what, as a church, what we're to be about is a people who collectively live in that world and share that together, not something in isolation, not individually apart, but, but God is saying, hey gang, you're together. You're together in God and in Jesus Himself and, and the God's grace and His peace is, is at work and active among, your, among us. 
So as we think about us and who we are as a church, we have an incredible identity. We have an incredible blessing that God gives us. And and this is the third and the final thing. We have work to do. Notice the church's work. He says in in verse 2 and 3, he says this. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father three things, your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that he talks about work and labor in the same sentence he's talking about the church? Do you need to work more in your life right now? Have you ever gotten up and, you know, honey, I just need to work more. I don't work enough. Have you ever done that? Your spouse would probably make an appointment with a therapist and say there's something deeply wrong (laughs) Uh, in my, my husband's thinking or my wife's thinking, right? Nobody wakes up and says, I just really need more to do in life. I need more work. I need more responsibilities. We know that with more responsibilities comes more work and more labor, more toil. And, you know, when it comes to church life, um, God says, guys, I saved you, I love you, and I give you incredible blessing. But He says, I do have a job for you to do. I have work for you to do. Uh, And with that responsibility comes nothing less than actual work. I'm grateful to you guys, the... The, uh, the snow plowing, snow blowing, shoveling team. So uh, somebody this morning said, I didn't know we had one of those. I said, well, we've got one today. <laughs> and the next time it snows, we'll have one on that day too. Aren't you glad for those who plowed and shoveled this morning that you could walk in and not fall and trip and, uh, and have all of that? I'm grateful. They were out this morning, get it done, not just taking care of their home, but making sure that this could be taken care of for us here. We understand that, that it's work. Sometimes, and I, I think I'm being really honest and transparent with you guys, I think for our church, for the most part, we are, we've avoided this, and I'm grateful for it. But sometimes Christians over the time can almost become like consumer Christians, where they come and they, they you know, want to enjoy, and they're blessed in that, but then they, they struggle to say, but, you know, I really don't want to get involved and do anything. I know that I'm talking to a whole big group of people. Some of you want to do more than what you're able to do because of your work and life situation and all of that. So I'm not putting you on a guilt trip at all. In fact, I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip at all. Uh, Others of you work and and serve beyond. And what I usually find is people say that, you know, but I really don't feel like I do enough. I think the work you do is probably more than you really think for the average person. But what I am trying to say to us this morning is, is that we do need to be careful that it's easy to fall in this just uh, mentality of, of not wanting to serve God in tangible things that takes work. And Paul says, guys, I'm grateful for your work of faith, for your labor of love. Let's think about those words for a second. Your work of faith. You see, work, when we do work, it's in this realm of faith it's, it's not just work for work's sake, but it's a stepping out and saying, I'm doing this because I'm a person of faith. I, I have a living relationship with God. I recognize that when I said yes to Jesus, I signed over the title deed of my soul to Him, and what He wants me to do is up to Him. 
He owns me. He's my boss. And he owns everything. And you guys serve and work so faithfully uh, in so many ways of the church, and I am so grateful. You do that, not really for me, not really even for River. As I mean, you do, but, but you really do it because you're faith in God. You do it because you love God, and you want to give back to God with your time and your effort. And your work is legitimate work, but it's a recognition of the faith of living that out with Him. And you pay that price. There's other things that you could be doing. There's other ways that you could be investing your time and your life and your effort. But you work because you have a living faith in God. And then there comes a time where you do such work that it gets really intense. That's what the next word is. The labor is kind of work plus. You know, there's sometimes when you're working that it takes effort and it takes energy. And there's other times where it just, you got to gut it out, right? You just have to push through, whether it's you're having to log extra hours, you're physically manually. I remember, I remember working uh, in construction when I was in college and we were building houses. And when you've got a set of steel beam or something, or some of those big laminated boards, I mean, it's like every guy under there, right, to shoulder that thing. That's not just work, that's labor to set those things in. Even in our Christian effort as we serve God, it involves at times a labor. And that labor, we're willing to do that because we have a love for the people and a love for God. That's the only thing that makes that possible. It's the only thing that motivates us in the, in the middle of that. And he says, not only do you, do you have a work of faith, a labor of love, but you have an endurance of hope. We all get tired in our life we all get tired and work, and sometimes you have to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Sometimes, honestly, you're so tired because, you know, if you stop, you're going to be like, that's it, I'm done. I'm <laughs> not getting up. And you literally just get up again, and you do it all over again. You have to endure. You know where your endurance comes from? It comes from a hope. It comes from a hope in a future. You see, faith should generate work in our life to serve God. Love motivates us and causes us to be willing to really work hard at certain times where we get it out. And hope is what gives us the ability to do endure spiritually and in every area of our life. Guys, that hope is, is that we have a, a firm hope of the God in heaven who takes care of us, that has our future secure. Have you ever worked hard and wondered, if, is this even worth it? Is anything good going to come out of it in the end? Maybe work hard in a relationship. Maybe work hard in other areas. Maybe you're working hard in your job and you know you're being disrespected and you know not taken care of and feel like it's worthless and hopeless. Hope is the thing that keeps you going. Hope is that thing that, that, that helps you to get up and keep moving forward. And what, what Paul is saying, he's like, guys, I recognize that you as a church, you guys have worked hard, you've labored, you've endured difficulty. The people in that community of Thessalonica weren't too crazy about them as a church. But Paul says, you've endured because you've got a hope, a hope and a future that's in God himself. So as I think about it this way in your life, I want you to think about it two different directions. One is stuff that we do for God just in general in our life that we live out 
uh, every sphere of our life, whether we're going to work, whether at home, all of that, that we put forth and put out an effort to serve and to honor God. And that means we're going to work and labor. We're going to endure. And some of those things along the way we do more specifically with together as a congregation or more Christianized things, if you will, spiritual things, stepping out, whether it's helping bring somebody to church or whether it's going to somebody's home you know, who's, who's sick and can't clean their home, but nobody else in the world knows it, but you're going because you love Jesus and want to help them, want to be a blessing to them. Maybe you take time and effort and spend your vacation money, you go to another another community and serve or go somewhere around the world, but you are you're putting out an effort and you're getting tired and you're getting hot. And let's be honest, every once in a while, you even get a little cranky doing that stuff too, right? We got to keep it real. <laughs> but you do it because you love God. You want to serve Him and you want to make much about Him. When I think about the church, what Paul is telling us is who we are as a people. We have an amazing identity. Who we are and who God has made us here at River of Life and, and other churches as well. We have an amazing blessing that we get to live out individually but collectively of God's grace and peace in our life. And third, God says, there's a job for you to do. He says, I got work for you. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, He has a purpose and a plan. Now the amazing thing is, is that the God of heaven gets to use us and we get to experience life with Him. That's the difficult part is it does take work. It does take endurance. And it does take a, a labor in that. But there's a blessing in the middle of it all. How do we know as a church that we're doing what God should be doing? How do you evaluate the effectiveness of a church? You know, do you drive by and say, wow, they've got some really cool church signs. I like that. Or wow, they've got a great nice building. Wow, they've got, they had a whole lot of people there this past week. Or wow, their kids' ministry has got lots of kids. Or man, now their youth group is fantastic. You know, the effectiveness of a church is measured pretty simply. People being saved, trusting Jesus, and those who trust Jesus follow Him and grow and know Him and serve Him. If you really want to know how effective a church is, it's not measured by size. It's not measured by its buildings. It's not measured by its programs. To be real honest with you, a lot of programs that churches do really don't do those two things well. They just get people together. But is a church leading people to Jesus? And is it really growing and discipling people well? That's what God says our work is to be about. It's to be about those things. Loving one another and serving one another, helping people grow, helping people to know Jesus. That's the effectiveness. As a church, that's what our past has been very focused on. And that's what our future is going to be focused on. Because when Jesus comes back, that's what He's evaluating. He's not evaluating our building. He's not evaluating all kinds of other things. He's evaluating that. So I'm going to close with this, this illustration. I had a young woman that came up to me this week. And because of the class that I teach and trying to help them think through the, about what a local church is all about and how it should take responsibility to reach the world and engage the world and, and be a missions organization itself and, and all of those kinds of things. She came up to me and she was, I could tell, these are, these are like 19-year-olds, 20, you know, about that age, sophomores in, in college for the most part. 
And uh, she said, she was from Philadelphia, and she said, when I go back to Philly, what kind of church should I go to? And she kind of knew. She said, you know, I don't want to be that person that has to everything just be right and the music perfect that I love and all of that. And I said, that's true. And, but she said, but so where do I compromise? You know, she was trying to understand, like, how do you make a decision about what a church is right, whether or not it's for you and that kind of thing. I said, well, you, you can't compromise on truth. You have to go to a church that you know that's teaching the Bible and that lines up to the best that you know with what you believe about God's Word. That's first and foremost. After that, you ought to go to a church where you know that you can serve and you can invest what you're trying, what God has put inside of you and wants you to do and to be a part of. And a church that's going to help you grow, and then in turn, uh, you get to help them grow. You want a church that you can commit to. And the third thing I said, and you ought to go to a church where you can invite your friends to. People that don't know Jesus, people that are unchurched, that they'll feel not just accept it, but it'll make sense to them. It'll connect with them. A lot of churches are, have isolated themselves and they've almost become so clubbish that if you're not in that club, you don't kind of belong and you just don't know how to act and function. I said, you, you if you're going to be somebody who lives like a missionary in your community, which is what I was talking about in the whole class, you need to be, a, you need to be able to bring people that, that they can go and feel comfortable. And I said, along the way, the music will probably be okay. It'll probably be decent music. And she kind of said, yeah, she was from a culture that music was really uh, big and powerful. But for us as a church, we do all of those things. But our identity ultimately is in God together. There's a commitment and a work that He calls us to and a blessing. So I don't know where you are this morning and you're thinking about church life. I know some of you are thinking about church membership. Some of you have made decisions about membership. Um, I don't know where you are in thinking about church in general. Uh, I have no idea. But I want us to recognize that church is not just a convenience thing. It's not something that we just go to on a Sunday morning that we attend. But God says... It's really a people that we belong to, that we're committing and growing with. Well, Sean, are you trying to put me on guilt trip? I'm really not at all. I'm just trying to say, here's what the Bible teaches about local church and, uh, and challenging you to, to be that faithful person. Maybe God has convicted you that you've, you know, haven't loved someone in church like you should. Maybe you need to forgive somebody in a church. Maybe it's somebody in a previous church and it's not even this church. I don't know. Maybe God wants you to speak to somebody that you've not kind of spoken to them about some things that you see. That's your responsibility as a Christian. I have no idea, but I do know this. We're to be committed to one another, loving one another, together reaching out to the people around us that don't know Jesus, together serving and working for our God, growing and, and, and putting effort into one another to help each other to grow. Because when our Lord Jesus comes back, He will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servants. That's what we're about here at River. So I'm going to invite our music team up and I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I want to pray and ask God to work in our heart. Lord, thank you that your church is real. Thank you, Father, for the blessings that you put. Thank you for the truths that Paul wrote to the church in 
Thessalonians, the Thessalonica. Thank you for these simple truths. Lord, sometimes we get tired working. Sometimes we get tired of working. And God, we need rest. And I ask for those that are working hard that you would give them rest. Spiritually and physically, we all need to step aside and take some time off and recharge and recuperate. Lord, I pray that you would bless that. And I pray that we would be a people, just as Paul was bragging about them, that because they loved Jesus and had a faith in Him, that they, were, they worked. I'm grateful for the people that do so many things here at River. Lord, just in this past year that so many more people have stepped up and willing to shoulder and take on responsibilities, small ones and big ones. Lord, would you bless them in that? Father, you, that does not go unnoticed just as we looked at this today, that you see that. Would you bless them in that? May they have a hope and an endurance and a love and a faith in that process that really it's about faith, hope, and love and not so much about the work. Lord, would you help us as a church to, to live that, I pray, in every area of life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how you should respond this morning, but would you stand and... Uh, Maybe you just need to sing and worship and give glory to God. Maybe God's refreshed some things that you've always believed. Maybe there's some new things that God taught you today. Maybe there's some things that God challenged you with. Maybe you've been tired and you've been working hard and you do need a break. That's okay. Take that break. God, we need rest and all of that. Maybe you've lost the focus of faith and love and hope as the motivating factor. Um, but that's why we do what we do. So however God has spoken in your heart, respond to Him on one of these songs. You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean.